Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. Welcome back to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I am joined by Jacob Engel, who is the CEO of Yeda LLC, which is a consulting and leadership training company out of New York. Jacob, how are you today? Great. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about you and your background. So maybe you can tell a little bit or tell our folks listening a little bit about yourself, your story and your background and how you got to where you're at right now. So my background is a quite a large family business, and my father was a Holocaust survivor. He had lost his father in Auschwitz. He perished in Auschwitz, and he came over here with no money, no family connections, no family, actually, no family connections, and the limited language, and really had to build himself up from scratch, reinvent himself, and uh, his legacy is is phenomenal because he he had created a significant amount of businesses uh, and an empire that's still around. And I had the privilege of working with him for many, many years. And what I've done over time is sort of crystallize some of the main leadership thoughts and, and rules and ideas that he shared with me over time, which I've then put into a book called The Prosperous Leader. And I imagine, and then from that work, working in that business, you know, you turned your, you transformed your business into, you know, the consulting or or tell me a little bit about the consulting and the training side that you do. Right. So I I would meet people and they would talk to me about some of their issues and their problems. And and really where it took off was in 2008 in, in the U.S. and I think worldwide and probably in Canada too, the financial markets fell apart, every market fell apart. And people, a lot of people were out of jobs, people lost businesses, and people uh, were looking for resources. And uh, I've been approached by different communities and community members asking if I can share and help people reinvent themselves and find their voice, find their talent, and go on to uh, new challenges and new businesses. So what we did was we took a class of 15 of unemployed, all age groups, and sort of threw the book at them. I brought in all different types of uh, speakers. We created all kinds of different curriculum. And fast forward, after six months, they all found jobs or started new businesses. So I was very uh, enthusiastic about creating a leadership and training so that people can benefit from the type of work that I've been doing on my own and the type of work I've been doing with the with the community members. That outgrowth has been that many companies have invited me in to do leadership training for them. Particularly, I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs. I do a lot of work with family businesses and other businesses because I, what I found was many of the rules just go across all types of businesses and the leadership training or the basics are really very, very important in order to, uh, for companies to prosper and go to that next level. You and I are both consultants. We both operate in the strategic planning space. We both have a passion or commitment to entrepreneurs. Uh, but one of the things I'd really love to hear about, I mean, we'll talk about the, you know, the two sides of your business, the, the training side, which I'm super interested in. Again, you know, our leaders 
and our listeners being uh, CEO, C-suite, middle managers, senior leaders. Can you tell me a little bit about your what you've seen both working in and consulting for family-owned businesses and some of the challenges that you've seen through that and you know maybe some takeaways that anybody who's working in a family business might be able to apply uh, into what they're taking on? Uh, family businesses are notorious for some very bad statistics and it's almost a shame, so to speak, that it does not go over 75 plus minus 75% do not make it to the next generation. There's a a uh, sort of a, a known adage that says that it shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, meaning that it, it just the continuity of family business is very, very difficult. And I've been studying that very carefully because I come from the family business and the legacies. And there are particular challenges which are true to any business and in addition, any growing business, and in addition to a family-owned business. So let me sort of try and put together some thoughts here. Number one, the idea of a family business is really to create or to detect what I would call the mission, the vision, the purpose, the goals, the objectives, the culture that is so important for any business, and particularly for a family business, because there's a family component. And what does the family stand for? What what won't it stand for? What kind of legacy does it want to create? Because those things are much greater than the business, but that empowers the employees, that creates that sense of purpose, sense of mission that is so important today in any business, but in particularly in a family business. Uh, the second thing is empowering the next generation. Empowering employees is is huge. Empowering the next generation is a significant challenge because uh, on one hand, Many family members have the sense of entitlement. Today, a lot of employees have a sense of entitlement. On the other hand, they have a sense of purpose. They want to be part of that family legacy. So being able to tap into that is is hugely important. I would say the three rules, and I found actually a New York Times article that I still have on my wall, by uh, written by a Dr. Astor. Astrakhan something, which says that family businesses need to do three things in order to create the impetus for the next generation. Number one, it has to create a board that is made up including uh, independent directors. It can't be just a family business or family members. The second thing is that it needs to train their next generation for leadership and you've got to invest in that next generation. So training is a hugely important thing. You know, the succession planning is, is, is something very, very important. And the third thing is a strategic plan. Most, I, I think you probably, somebody has had to have mentioned this one. You know, most people don't plan to fail. They just fail. They fail to plan. Right. And the strategic plan that includes the family and the business is usually important in order to take that to the next level. So those three things are key in order to help a family business go to the next generation. I heard a couple of things. So I heard the three, the top three, you're creating a, a board and including the external directors. So have somebody else who ha- doesn't have the, he just has a, an unbiased perspective or an external perspective on that, getting that next generation set up. And I want to ask you about plan. That. Yeah. 
because there's a huge transfer of wealth happening, especially now in, you know, 2018, 2019, where you have all of these baby boomers retiring and, and you know, looking at where are they going to take their businesses? So planning for that. And then, of course, that leads into the third part, the, the strategic planning aspect. So having a clear vision. Um, and then, as you said, mission, vision and culture. One of the words that really stuck out uh, out of everything you said, and you referred it to a couple times, was legacy. So tell me what what legacy means to you and what the opportunity of getting clear on your legacy makes available for the family businesses or people working in family businesses that are listening. So that's a, you know, that's a significant question. And when we talk about legacy in the family business, and the example that I use in my book is my dad, that the, oftentimes the business sort of is the life of the entrepreneur or the founder or the family. And that, on one hand, creates a passion, obviously, and there is a you know, sense of purpose and a sense of drive and, and, and a goals. On the other hand, it can be way too all-encompassing, and it does not allow for other things, which can be things of giving back to the community. That is a significant impact that people can have on their communities, empowering their employees, helping their employees be successful making the world a better place. Whatever product or whatever services you're doing, let there be a greater than just making money. Let there, let everybody understand that the, 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 the legacy that the family carries is for it to be greater than just the business. And I think people who can think beyond that will inspire people to uh, join them, inspire people to do greater things. And what I've seen in our, in our family business and I've seen in other very successful family businesses is that if, if the focus is, is just on the business and just making money and just transactional and not creating relationships, it falls short of the impact it can have. But if you really think greater and bigger and how can we leave this world a better place than we found it? That prompts a lot of good thinking, great ideas, and it brings the best out of people. I really find that it motivates and inspires people to step up to the plate and do greater things than just making a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think what's interesting about that, you know, working in the SME space where talent in itself as a premium and having something as a purpose greater than just making money is that when you as a family business and, and any business create opportunities to contribute, to create, uh, to do stuff outside of the business, that it actually empowers your employees to have a greater impact. And those employees are going to impact their community and like the spillover of the, the business and the legacy long term will be huge. So not only will it drive results for your business and it'll help you attract talent, but it'll also, you know, you do good things for the planet as well. Um, anything else that you wanted to share on legacy or what people listening can take away and, and execute on? Right. What I'd like to share and what people can execute on <clears throat> is that even if you're, if you're, if you're an aspiring leader, an entrepreneur or running an established business or running a family business or first generation, second generation, third generation, you know, really think bigger than just where you are. And 
the thought of how can I create something greater than myself is something that will inspire people to join you on that mission. And like you mentioned, and you know, the challenge of the millennials are really because we don't inspire them enough. And in, in, in the work that I've done and if, with the private companies and even larger companies is when you inspire people to greatness, they will step up to the plate. And the idea is really that legacy, that greatness, those sense of purpose and sense of mission are things that will create that type of environment for people to grow and for and automatically the business will grow. Absolutely. It's, it's got to pull people forward. And even as like a, a human being, I was literally just chatting with one of my best friends and he's running a business and his consideration was, you know, I could help grow the business. You know, I could do this all by myself. He's actually looking at himself as a, as a solopreneur with help. And he's like, but I need to start looking at it as a business because otherwise I'm going to sacrifice the time that I get to spend with my family. Like, you know, you could work 90 hours a week, but what good is it if you're, you know, if you're making tons of money, but you're not being able to spend time with your family in that. So. Yeah. So work-life balance is a, is a huge thing for, for entrepreneurs and for family business owners. Talk to them a lot about that. Yes. Uh, in, t- in terms of strategic planning. So as people know, I'm a big advocate of strategic planning. Um, at, would you say that having a strategic plan actually allows these senior leaders more time to spend with their family because they have a, a bigger structure or, or a structure in place to support the growth? Right. So that's that's a really great question. And I know you talk a lot about strategic planning and I'm, I'm a huge fan of strategic planning. It's such an important part of, of, of clarification, of creating that transparency and accountability. But yes, I think in order to take a company from sort of a mom and pop where you know, everything revolves around the entrepreneur and getting them to get to that next level really requires empowerment of their people, really defining very carefully and clearly their objectives and their goals. And and when you talk about a strategic plan, there's a short term and a medium term and a long term and how everybody participates in that and how you hold them accountable, that automatically will create that space where the entrepreneur can start to back off as people take on responsibilities and accountabilities and all of a sudden find that they're working more on the business than in the business. And that is really the path, the only path that I've been able to see successfully with a strategic plan is getting people to move through those steps and empower their people to run the day-to-day, take on more responsibilities and give the opportunity for the entrepreneurs or the leadership to step back and be able to be, call it a little bit more flexible with their time and not have to be so involved in the day-to-day of the business. Well, I love what you said from that. So empowering people, which are all about empowering people, like allowing them to contribute, which, you know, you get more out of your people. It'll reduce the apathy. They'll actually be engaged. But you said creating the space and it really allows people to step into whatever there is to take on more responsibility, which as a mom and pop or even as somebody who's looking to exit, you need to allow those people, let them fail in a way, but allow them to contribute. And then as part of the planning process, create that vision of what you want and actually let them know if you want to retire in five, 10 years, then give them the pathway. As Jacob said, create the space for them to to step into that space for you. You know, you don't have to carry that it's, it's not a burden, but you don't need to do all of the work yourself. It, you just, it's tough to let it go, but it's one of the things you're going to need to do. Right. 
And there's no question that it's so tough to let it go. I work with a lot with entrepreneurs and they struggle with it and, and there needs a lot of hand-holding and that's why execution is so difficult. But uh, what I've coined recently, because uh, I'm, I'm putting together something and I said the difference is the culture of one voice on the a voice around the table versus many voices around the table. And usually the entrepreneur is usually the voice around the table. Whatever they say goes and people will follow, even if they listen to their people. However, if you can create a team around you that and you celebrate the differences, you allow different voices, you allow people to step up to the plate and, and they will feel empowered, that's the stepping stone to allowing the entrepreneur or the family business owner in the succession plan to start to be able to create more space for themselves and freedom and other people will step up to the plate. Mm, absolutely. That's awesome. So there you go, folks. If you want people to step up to the plate, you got to empower them, give them space to make it happen. So let's switch gears a little bit because I want to talk to you about the training side because we talked about the consulting side. Let's talk about the training. So from your LinkedIn page, if anybody finds them on LinkedIn, talk about a couple things, time management, communication skills, negotiation skills, trust building, and problem solving. So, you know, pick any of those that you like, but what are some of the things that someone running a business you know, what are some of the key takeaways from that? Say, hey, here's how you can do this or here's the, the benefit of uh, leveling up yourself in, in one or many of these areas. So what I found, and maybe you found something of the same, is that oftentimes companies don't think that there's value in investing in their employees for leadership training or management training. But I think the payback is huge. It also creates being on the same page. And if you ask me, like, what is the one singular thing that's – significant, it would be trust. Trust is the glue that keeps the organization together. And in order to create trust, you need people to be trustworthy. In order for them to be trustworthy, their time management skills have to, people really, today with the, with the world of distractions and busyness, time management is, is, is a, an essential part of any successful manager or leader. So I see so many times that people just don't have that skill set or they haven't been trained enough or they haven't been coached enough. So investing back with your employees, giving them training and or coaching and hand-holding, telling them that we want you to be successful, what is it that you need, giving them the tools will make a huge impact. And I've seen it firsthand. May I unpack trustworthiness? Sure. So one of the things I hear, so what you said around, so you connected trustworthiness to time management. So what I heard in that, and I, like a, a story, because consultants always have stories, uh, is like, let, let's say you're trying to go for dinner with somebody and you plan dinner and then they cancel on you. And you're like, okay, well, you know, that happens. And then you plan dinner again and then they cancel. And you might try one more time to plan the dinner and then they cancel. Well, are you ever going to want to go for dinner with that person again? Probably not. Not and because you've eroded all of the trust there. And so what I heard in what you said about time management is if somebody's late, somebody doesn't actually realize what their accountabilities are, or they just don't do the stuff on time, then you're eroding that trust. And then you're just, you, you, there's no foundation to build performance on top of. Is that sort of what you were saying in terms of, in terms of that? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Those are some of the things that I help companies. I devise the the, street, the leadership training or the management training. I bring in speakers. Sometimes I do them myself, depending on what the subjects are. 
but I really want companies to invest in employees. One of the most significant things that I've seen is when companies invest in, the, in their employees, employees really feel like, wow, this is a place that wants to empower me. This is a place that wants my success. And if the companies and organizations feel, employees feel that the people want their success, they will give back. They will uh, share back because it's one of the things that uh, will have a significant impact on the employees. Plus, don't forget the company benefits at the end for if, if people have better leadership skills, have better time management skills, they have better uh, negotiation skills. They understand the win-win. Win-win is something that people need to really understand how that works or communications. That is huge. I find most many or too many don't really understand how to communicate effectively. In, in terms of the investing, I, I can't remember. I, I think it's the law of reciprocity in that if you give to somebody else, they will give to you or, you know, some I've heard in, in networking groups like BNI says givers gain, but you, you gotta be, you got to sort of step out onto the skinny branch first and be the person who is going to willing to make the investment before you're expecting something in return. And I think it's really easy as human beings to be like, well, I'm not going to do that for you unless you do something for me versus just like saying, well, I want to train these people. I want to invest in people because they're going to be here and they're going to be working all the time. And, and just to add to that point, I've heard a lot, you know, many business owners will tell me they're, they're sort of skeptical. Are you so sure that my people are interested? Will they step up to the plate? Will they take, will there be takeaways? I usually try and be part of some of their trainings to, to get a flavor. And it's like sponge in the water. They, they, they soak it up. The employees appreciate it and they really try very significantly to make that part and parcel of they, because they do want to do a better job and giving them the tools will help them and help the company as well. Absolutely. We just did a, a podcast with uh, Rebecca Zucker and she, part of her uh, facilitation process and training process is she does the training in groups, sort of like a peer training. And like you said, like a sponge in water. I love that. Then when you put everybody in a group, then it's not like a, oh, I'm training you because you're bad. It's a, we're all training and we're all leveling up together. And it's like a huge opportunity for all of us instead of like a corrective training. It's actually really because you see the commitment uh, for that person. It's like more of an empowerment. It, exactly. Which, hey, that's what we talked about before, creating the space for them. So one more question before we go. In terms of time management, when entrepreneurs and business people and leaders tell you they are busy, you know, I have yet to meet somebody who didn't, who had free time, but, you know, can you speak into project or time management in that regard? And what do you do with busy people? Right. Right. That's a huge subject. And you're right. Most people, so I've seen a quote re recently that busyness is laziness. Okay. <laughs> and in, in time management, what you really want to evaluate is where are you spending your time? Uh, it's called the Eisenhower Matrix. Uh, Stephen Covey has it in The Seven Habits. Leaders need to spend their time more on planning and prevention. You know, talk about a great story. So one of the stories that uh, talk about this is a question of, and I might as well put that question out to your audience and let them guess. The most effective firefighting teams, what percentage do they actually fight fires? So what would you say, Anthony? I don't know. No, I say like, I don't know, maybe 10%, something like that. The most effective are 2%. Now the question is, so what are they doing with the other 98%? Preventing fires. 
teaching kids not to play with matches, making sure that the smoke alarms are, you know, preventing because prevention companies need to spend a significant amount of time. I usually like the 50, 50 mix between planning and prevention. If we're in crisis all the time, why are we continuously in crisis? What have we not planned and prevented correctly that we're continuously fighting fires? And we need to step back. And that's why, you know, usually you need an outside person to give you that perspective, really to zoom in on where are we continuously fighting fires because we haven't spent the time, we don't have the proper training, or we don't have the right people in the right seat in the right bus, or we don't have the right processes. I just recently worked with a company that had 80 different computer systems. Some small, some big, but can you, you know, talk about the inefficiencies and the ineffectiveness? So companies really need to examine from time to time as they go from one level to the next, what is it that they can be doing to be a lot more effective? Time management really gives you that perspective. Uh, another great example, I, I just recently wrote a blog on that, is that many people that I coach, leadership, what I suggest in order to be a lot more effective and to have is carve out your time in 90-minute blocks and take at least one or two blocks each day where you're going to focus on the bigger picture on reaching the goals and not being sucked into the day-to-day -day, the emails and don't answer your emails and put a sign on your door or your your desk from 11 to 1 for example um, don't please do not disturb unless the building is on fire type of thing and uh, carve out your time be proactive about carving out time and taking care of what we call the big rocks focusing on the big rocks what are the things that will have the greatest impact? And the higher, you know, the higher the people are in the chain, the more they need to focus on the big rocks and push down and empower people on the next level too. And it, it, it's a process. It sounds easy. I, I but I and and what companies struggle is implementing it, and that's why implementation is always a, a very important step. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I heard definitely the, the prevention, the, taking it back a little bit, the, the prevention piece. I think it's like an ounce of prevention is a equals a pound of care or, or something like that. An ounce of prevention is equal to a pound of cure. I think that's the quote. Cure. There we go. Thank you very much. So uh, I'm actually going to take an opportunity to shout out one of my clients, Stigler Health and Wellness in Oklahoma, uh, doing great things in healthcare, primary care down in Oklahoma. And exactly that, that's the prevention. So love you guys. I hope you're doing great. <laughs> Sorry, Jacob, couldn't help myself. And the other thing I thought in terms of the when you're busy and I, I heard Boredom. So yesterday was in a seminar talking about boredom and boredom wasn't necessarily being bored, but just wasn't interested. And what I heard and what you were sharing was that they're just not interested in doing that stuff. You know, so like as part of making it a process and handling the big rocks, they got to start getting interested in doing the preventative work, interested in doing the big rocks, interested in doing the strategic work in order to move it forward and accomplish all the other stuff that we were talking about, like fulfilling your vision, you know, creating your legacy, developing the culture and engaging the people in the organization and creating the space for them to be successful. One tremendous insight that I'd like to share, because I think when I heard it, 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 it blew my mind. A lot of people sort of escape and they mindless stuff. And the question is, why do people run escape to mindless stuff, mindless TV, mindless uh, internet, mindless uh, games? It's because they're so burnt out, continuously fighting fires, that they need to escape. 
And if you can create a much better balance where people are not finding fires that often, the need to escape is much less, then they can be doing a lot more meaningful work. And I can show companies usually where you can save 25, up to 50% of time if done right over time, obviously, where you can reclaim back those, uh, those, those percentages and time wasters that we call. And it creates – so when people tell you they don't have time, it's because they're not managing their calendar correctly. And I will challenge anybody on that. Awesome. I got that. Fantastic, Jacob. Well, I really appreciate that. I think we'll, we'll end it there. Uh, before we go, how can people get a hold of you? And if they want to take control of their calendars, who can they talk to? Okay. So I've got a website. It's uh, The Prosperous Leader, spelled the T-H-E Prosperous, P-R-O-S-P-E-R-O-U-S, leader, L-E-A-D-E-R.com. And I've got all my information there, my emails, and or they can send me an email at jacob at theprosperousleader.com. I've got a, quite a lot of blogging there, uh, questionnaires. I have something called an organizational health questionnaire, which is very beneficial. There are some videos. There's a lot of stuff on there and also on LinkedIn. Awesome. It, it, Jacob, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Same here. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Uh, today, I've been chatting with Jacob Engel, who is the CEO of Yetta LLC out of New York, and they do consulting and leadership training. Thank you so much for joining us on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. If you know somebody that'd be interested in learning more about how to take their team to a whole new level of effectiveness and how to empower the people in their organization, be sure to share the podcast with them. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to rate us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any downloads. So uh, once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.